There are hearers and there are overhearers. Which one are you? There are really a few things weirder than flying if you stop to think about it. You have to wear a mask unless you're eating a snack. And if you're eating a snack, that means that you are impenetrable with any viruses that may be floating around. So I never stop eating snacks. Uh, On planes, people do unacceptable things. Uh, They will pull out a styrofoam plate of steaming hot Chinese food and open it in that little vacuum for, for you to smell alongside of them. They will spill thieves spray, which sanitizes nothing but stinks up everything. And then you get to overhear conversations. I was recently on a flight and an older lady behind me said something that completely threw me off guard and I'm not really sure as to who she was speaking because she was behind me or what she was talking about or how she started to even want to have that conversation. But she said this, I guess I'm going to just sit back and watch some anime and I, I just perked up. Like, what, are, what is taking place behind me on this flight? But she's talking to someone that knows. If nothing else, she's talking to herself and she knows. The idea that we would be in a place where there are some who hear and some who overhear. That there are some that are in crowds that will get it and some that won't. That there are some in your house that get it and some that won't. That you will be able to say something to a group of people and some of them would understand everything that you're saying or at least enough to keep going with you, yet there will be some who do not. We're looking at a parable today in Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. And we will realize together as a body of believers that really Mark is telling us a story about listening to God. For us to consider what it means to listen to God. To think through listening to God. I love this parable. There are 40 parables in the New Testament. Jesus' parables, his stories. He explains two of them. And this happens to be one of those two. So this should be simple for me, but maybe not. We'll see what happens. We look at the text that lets us know that that Jesus is reminding us that This parable gives us some direction. It is a story about how to understand the stories of Jesus. It is a picture as to what the great good news of Jesus is and how it will impact the ends of the earth. It is a fantastic story. The the parable is one about a seed and how how we have been given this seed from Jesus. What will we do with it? Will this seed grow or will it not? And if we're looking at a big idea for the text today, you'll see it in this way. There are different responses to Jesus, his word, and his kingdom. What does your response happen to look like? So so if you have your Bible, I want you to open it to Mark 4. If you're not, read this over us. And then we will look at it together. Again, he began to teach by the sea. And a very large crowd gathered around him. So he got into a boat on the sea and he sat down while the crowd was by the sea on the shore. He taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, consider the sower who went out to sow. And he sowed. And some seed fell along the path. And the birds came up and they devoured it. 
Other seeds fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't all that deep. When the sun came up, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, came up and choked it, and it did not produce fruit. Still other seed fell on good ground, and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. Verse 1, again, he began to teach by the sea. Now the visual of this is astounding if we would just give it a, just a moment of our attention. We mentioned last week the crowds of Jesus and how these crowds were more than crowds that we really can grasp. They have gathered around to hear this new teacher in his story of revolution, his story of overthrowing Rome, his story of reestablishing the, the message of the goodness of God, the message of Israel. And in this passage, Jesus even uses language to take us back to that. The idea of seeds being planted that were connected to the kingdom of heaven. If we just throw it back to the Old Testament, prophets have spoken of the kingdom of heaven. They've been waiting. Holy people had prayed for it to come. Hard-working, faithful people, normal people like us, they studied the scriptures, they had longed for the kingdom, they taught their children about the kingdom, and some of them had died before that kingdom ever arrived. They were expecting something at this point in the text. They were expect at this point in the story. They were expecting something more than they'd been getting from everyone else. His fame had been spreading, this Jesus. But this was supposed to be a call to arms. Today is, we are in the second week of the NFL playoffs. And you will hear NFL players something to the effect of, let's go, over and over and over. And this is what the Jewish people are expecting with this new Messiah, this revolutionary. But he's got to be crafty. Jesus has to use parables to tell the story of what he's doing and why he's doing it to get these people to a certain point. Here's why. The Pharisees, they hate him. They are looking for a reason to kill Jesus. For the Romans, they found him to be at least a nuisance by this point and they wanted rid of him as well. But for the normal people, the people who we've been talking about, the everyday people, the ones who've been waiting for the world to be better and not worse, the ones who've been waiting for something good to take place and not bad, for those people, they're looking for him to say something that would encourage them to overthrow Rome. And if this is anything different than that, there's a chance that they're out. Verse 2, he taught them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, that word is so helpful for us. Listen. If you'll, your translation more than likely has an exclamation point there. The emphasis of this is listen up. Every mother in the room understands what it means to say listen to people who do not happen to be listening. To speak to those who are hearing you who you want to hear you and not just overhear you. Listen. Consider the sower who went out to sow. And he sowed some seed, fell along the path, the birds came and they devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and it grew up quickly since the soil wasn't all that deep when the sun came up. It was scorched. And Jesus tells the stories. Verse 7, other seeds fell among the thorns. And the thorns came up and they choked it out. It didn't even produce any fruit. Still other seeds fell on good ground and it grew up, producing fruit that increased 30, 60, and 100 times. 
Let anyone who has ears say, listen, listen. Parables are so interesting in the Bible because they're stories, but they're stories with a purpose, stories with an intent. D.A. Carson defines a parable like this. He said, they are vivid, they are vivid proverbial sayings. Brief similes, metaphoric phrases, analogies, or short stories drawn from everyday life and designed to communicate important truths. Maybe the story that he would tell you is not one about a farmer who is attempting to sow seed because that's not the life that you live. That's not the world that you live in. So listen, a lady sent an individual text message to multiple friends to make plans. Some did not receive the text message. Some read it. She knew that they had read it because their phone said read email, read text. Some got it and they started to reply, but they got distracted by Instagram reels. So all she could see was the think bubble. There were some who received it and texted back with a time and a place. Listen. Maybe like this. There was a man who walked into the living room and told his children to put away the laundry. One child heard him, but put all of his laundry in the outside trash can, never to be seen again. Another heard, started folding the laundry, but put it all in a chair in the office, only to be knocked over when she started throwing a ball with Gus, I mean their dog. And still another sat down in the living room on top of the laundry because he had turned on the PlayStation. But there was another who heard and folded and folded some more. He made sure all of the laundry was placed where it needed to be placed for every family member until it was all put away. He or she who has ears, listen. You may not be planting seeds, but those stories, they resonate. And that's the message of Jesus in this passage. Which one of those four in the, in the text message, in the laundry scenario, that hyperbolic scenario, hypothetical, do you want to be? Listen, they're listening to Jesus and there's all of these different ways that they're going to reply to him, respond to him because some of them are expecting Jesus to tell them we're going to war and maybe some of them heard the story and they thought oh here we go he's ready this is the revolution this is what we've been waiting for give me whatever the first century equivalent of a tank is and we will undo all of this room some probably heard and thought, this is the weirdest story I've ever heard. Where are the tanks? Don't we have revolt? Why is he telling me about stuff like seeds that I already know? <laughs> One might have even thought, what kind of farmer get, throws away two-thirds of their crops? When he was alone, verse 10, so interesting. When he was alone, those around him with 12 asked about the parables. They asked these questions about these parables. They asked the questions to hear from him, to know things from Jesus. And as they asked the question, he's going to give them a deeper understanding of what's taking place. 
Because the full understanding of the teachings of Jesus are for those who know him and who gather around him. Now, the disciples are still in the point of their walk with him where they're in the huh stage because they don't understand any of this either. But they're in. They just don't know what they're in for. I think sometimes we're all like that. We're in the place where the message of Jesus and why he would ever give us that message is one that we are in. We're for this. We just don't really know what we have been asked to be in for. Why, we, why God would expect anything of his people that would be more than just gathering in spaces, assimilating the thought patterns, having theories that we share in common. Listen. Jesus in this passage is giving them this divine secret. And he begins to explain what it is for them to be people who have been impacted by the kingdom. Verse 11. He answered them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those who are outside, everything comes in parables. So that they may indeed look. And he begins to quote from the book of Isaiah. They may indeed look and yet they won't perceive. They may indeed listen yet they won't understand. Otherwise they may turn back and be forgiven. This is this divine secret of what the gospel is. That Jesus is saying there is a good news that is presented. That there are some who will have nothing to do with. Verse 13. So he says to them. Don't. You understand the parable. Don't you understand the story that I'm telling? How then will you understand all of the parables? And here, Jesus gives a visual for them that I don't want us to miss. He says, if you don't get this, you're not going to understand anything else that I ever say. And Jesus is about to tell us, is about to explain to them this story and how invasive it really is. How the message of Jesus is one that impacts us in this incredibly important way. He begins to explain to them what this parable is about. Now, the title of this parable is the parable of the sower. We know that because Jesus in so much names it that. If you were to look in various places, it's called other things. I heard one commentator say something to the effect of, it's called the parable of the sower. It should really be called the parable of the soils. Now, Jesus calls it one, but he calls it the other. I'll lean into Jesus. So Jesus in the story is saying that there is a sower. And that sower is him. Because the story is about him. This small micro story is about him. Because the whole story is about him. Meaning that your life and my life are to be about him. Everything tied to him. Listen. Listen. The Bible is about Jesus. He's the goal of it. He desires for hearers to conform to it. He desires for our hearts to beat in that direction. For us to consider that with our lives and the way that we interact with others. Listen. So what am I hearing from Jesus and how does what I hear from Jesus affect and impact everything around me? Am I really listening? Some are like the word, some on the path. When they hear immediately Satan, Satan corresponds to the bird 
in the earlier portion of the story comes and takes away the word sown in them. For them, this is the sidewalk, but they didn't really have sidewalks, but they didn't have whatever you make sidewalks with. Just a path. A beaten down path. Now, I know that we live in the Gulf of Texas and hiking is really not our thing. We don't have a lot of hiking options around here. Hiking for us is walking in the humidity in March. But when you get to wooded areas, you'll, you'll notice there are various paths that are beaten down. Those weren't beaten down before. They were paths that were forged. Not much of a hiker myself. But I, I, I had a yard when I was growing up. And my dad decided that he would put a basketball goal in the yard. Like right there in the yard, no concrete, no cement, just a basketball court with trees around it and grass. The goal was thicker than it needed to be. It was really hard to make shots, and I've never been really good at making shots anyway. The rims, the stick metal, the court was grass. There were roots in the yard that we used to serve as the free throw line and the three-point line. But we played in the yard every day. Bouncing a basketball, beating down the path. Every day, running back and forth on this little bitty plot of land. We made it into a basketball court. We would eventually move from that house. Other people would live in that house. And if you were to look in their backyard, they were never able to grow grass there. Because we had beaten down the path. They may have tried. There was nothing that they could do because the path would not receive anything that was dropped on it. Jesus is saying this in the passage. There is the gospel, the good news that is Jesus. And when it is sent out, it will go to some places where it's just not received. It's just not heard. It's not seen to be relevant. It's not seen to be... It's not anything that they will digest in any way shape or form that doesn't mean you don't spread that good news it just means when it lands it's just going to be there it's hard to hear the various conversations we've had as believers in Jesus as we encourage one another to have about Jesus where we've said to someone that we believe that the hope of the world is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected and we've said that in every single way that we can say that we've said that with our lives we've said that with our words but it just isn't received and that's heartbreaking and it's overwhelming but Jesus says here that that's going to happen sometime doesn't mean we stop praying or stop thinking or start ask, stop asking God to move. We just know everything's not going to go the way that we think that it should go. But there are others, not just him, there are more. There are others that are like seeds sown on rocky ground. When they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy. Well, that sounds good. Receive it with joy. We, we have this ecstatic conversion. They are very pro-Jesus. They think that he's the best. Let's, let's be part of what he's doing. But there's no root there. 
They're short-lived. And when distress or persecution comes because of the Word, they just fall away. And if you've been around this Jesus for any length of time and the message that He's called us to, you've experienced this. You've watched this. You've noticed this. You've been in rooms where people would see the the depth of what sin has done to them and the hope that has been presented in Jesus. And they do everything they, they can to anchor themselves in that. But they can't get beyond the fact that when hard things happen, it shocks them to the point of turning away. Maybe they were wildly rebellious and they have put their faith in a conversion experience. Moments of conversion, like in our heads, emotional things that aren't bad. Those aren't the things that save you. Jesus is the one who saves you. Jesus saves us. And the idea that they would have these intense interactions. Jesus says that's going to happen sometimes. Others are like seeds sown among thorns. These are the ones who hear the word. But the worries of our age the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. This is the faith that we see that is growing, that we feed along with other things. It's the idea that we have created situations where the good news of Jesus is, for whatever reason, exchangeable with other things that we find to be just as good of news. It's our battles. It's the things that we look at and we say, well... The gospel is tied to that. And somehow we make what the gospel is tied to what what we believe the gospel to be. And that's not true. There are numerous believers in the world who for whatever reason have come to these places. And all of our hearts can really get caught in this. We would see things and we would know that we're supposed to do this, but we would forget why we're doing it. It's where we make something elevated to equal with the gospel. And when we add anything to that or put something on the same pedestal that we put the gospel on, it ceases to be the gospel. So so think through this with me. So we as followers of Jesus, if we read through the Bible, we're to care about the poor. We just should. If we for whatever reason, say that caring for the poor is the good news, we have short-sold what the good news actually is. It's not just that. We as believers in Jesus believe in the idea of life. We are a pro-life. Our congregation is very pro-life. We are pro-pro-life. 
But if we take the issue that is horrendous that we call abortion and we say that that in itself is the gospel, then we are ceasing to have a conversation about the gospel. The good news of Jesus should bear light on all of those things. If we're having conversations about race, we're having conversations about oppression, having any conversation that we have where we exchange the good news of Jesus with something else, we're ceasing to have good news conversations. What's this saying to us? One pastor that I like a lot says, if we allow some things to get entangled in the gospel, they may eventually replace the gospel. So what we do? Those seem to be the overhearers. Who are the hearers? Verse 20. And those like seed sown on good ground hear the word. They welcome it. And produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 times what has been sown. For people who belong to Jesus, we realize that the hardships of making the good news vocal, that it's not always going to end the way we think today it should end. We're going to miss things, we're going to overlook things. And God would encourage us to never stop listening. Warren Wearsby, you may have heard of Wearsby. He, he gives his definition of a parable in a, in a different way. He says this, A parable begins innocently as a picture that captures our attention and draws our interest. The dad with the laundry, the lady with the text message, the sower with the seed. But the more we look at the picture, he says, it becomes a mirror where we can suddenly see ourselves. So we unpack the story and we hopefully will see ourselves in light of it. Where am I trending? What's my heart look like? How do I see the word and the world? Wearsby then says, if we continue to look by faith, that mirror becomes a window through which we see God and his truth. To be zealous about the message and the goodness of God. And to see that that truth that he has presented for us may not always go the way that we think it should go. Jesus quotes Isaiah 6 earlier in the passage. Verses 9 and 10. And in that, as you look at his quoting of Isaiah, we as people who are pretty scripturally knowledgeable know Isaiah 6 is this huge worship passage in the Bible. But it's a little different than what we think of when we think of worship because we think of worship as the time... Honestly, most of us think worship is what happens when Jared and the band lead us and then whatever happens when I get up here. Worship is more than that. It's more holistic than that. More complete. But in Isaiah 6, he's in this place and it's, he says, Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the, the King, the God Almighty... He saw angels that were covering the Lord. 
And Isaiah is having this experience and he sees the depth of his sin, the weight of his sin, and there comes a point where God cleanses him because if God doesn't cleanse you, you're not clean. When he has this vision, at the very end, in chapter, uh, at the end of the vision, there's a conversation where the God of the Bible, the triune God who is there said, who will I send and who will go for us? And the response of Isaiah, who's met with this incredibly overwhelming God. He says, here I am, I'll go. Send me. Send me, I'll go. I'll go do whatever you want me to do. I'll be whatever you need me to be. I'll go. And you would think that someone who had seen God in this worshipful vision would have a really good track record when it comes to going out. But in verses 9 through 13, we hear what takes place when he goes. As he goes with the good news and as he spreads this good news and how in this world that he was living in, it did not seem to take root, but he wasn't told to stop going. He said, go and say to these people, keep listening, but you want to understand. Keep looking, but don't perceive. I say, you're going to say this, and these, the minds of these people will be dull. Their ears will be deaf and their eyes are blinded. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Isaiah said, hey, I, was, I just signed up for this. How long is that going to happen? When do we get to see the kingdom come? Well, until when, Lord? And then Isaiah hears as God takes it even to a more difficult, destitute place until cities lie in ruins without inhabitants, houses are without people, and the land is ruined and desolate, and the Lord drives the people far away, leaving great emptiness in the land, though a tenth will remain in the land. God talking about a, a, a remnant. It will be burned again like the, like the terebinth on the oak that leaves a stump when felled. The holy seed is the stump. There is this seed and it's going to take root. It won't take root the way you think that it needs to though. So what do we do as believing people in Clute slash Lake Jackson slash wherever you live with a passage like this? How do I go forward with this? How do I take this into my life? How do I allow this text to invade dark spaces and have any hope whatsoever? One commentator asked these questions. He says, are you ready for the unexpected things of God that will catch you off guard? Meaning that there are things that will take place that don't please us. Are we more concerned with what God should do? This is another question. Are we more concerned with what we think God should do than what he's actually doing? So what should we do? What are we supposed to do with any of this? Keep this in mind. As those who follow Jesus, as those who are the verse 20 people, and I really hope we're verse 20 people. The idea and the, un and the fact that you've been given an opportunity from God to hear and understand his word, it's a gift. It is a gift that we should never take for granted. And because he, it is a gift, it is a gift that we need to keep going back to over and over interacting with God through His Word in prayer by the power of His Spirit because you don't get to interact with God through His Word and in prayer apart from His Spirit being alive in you. 
And we should know, as one pastor friend says, that hearing the word, accepting the word, and bearing fruit from the word, those are marks of God's kingdom people. We should receive what God has said to us. We should bear fruit because of the fact that God has said it. So would we as a people who gather together here each week, listen. Because in this passage, there are hearers and there are overhearers. But not just in this passage, in this room, there are hearers and there are overhearers. Which one are you? What will we do with any of this? So that brings us to this place where I would invite you to bow your head. If you did not, we encouraged um, everyone at Welcome to, to take communion cups. They're out in the, in the lobby. If you don't have one, feel free to go get one right now. It, it's, the, it's the little package. If you have believed in what God has done for you in Christ, then I pray that we have heard what God has said to us from Mark. We will accept what He says to us in Mark. And we will put into practice what He has said to us in Mark. People who love the Word and... and the word who became flesh, people who interact with him through the, the word that he's given us in the Bible. So if you have your cup, before you take it, because I think that we're pretty quick to just take things. If you're a believer in this room, trusting in Jesus, you, you know who he is, you, the gospel has fallen on good soil for you, and it's growing. Would you just ask God to show you the places in your heart and the things in your life where that good news should keep going? Would you pray that God would help you to listen to him over and over? you're not a believer here I, I would invite you to just to make a couple of realizations one is that's a cracker and grape juice but as followers of Jesus we believe that this is something sacred that God has called us to communion it's a reflection of the salvation that he's given us in Jesus so if you don't know Christ don't take that today don't take that I'm going to allow you to do that on your own time to take the cup, to drink the bread to, to, to take the cup and to eat the bread but just know that, that is a symbol to help us remember that his body was broken for us, that his blood was shed that he gave to us and for those of us who have received he has given that to us so we can keep listening to him let he who has ears hear Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that is there. I pray over our family of faith here.
I pray that as we take communion today, Lord, for those who know you, those who are in you, those who trust you, God, that this will be a reminder of what you've called us to. If you're here and you don't have a faith relationship with Christ and you want to talk to me about that, I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room.